Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time now to sit under your word. Please help me by your spirit to teach it clearly and grant us soft hearts that are receptive to what you have to say to us today. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. When I was back at university, I had the privilege of witnessing a conversation between one of my housemates, uh, Pete, who was a Christian, and another student in our year. Uh, Now, Pete was known for his faith. Uh, He certainly didn't live like many of the other students on my campus in the UK. He wasn't known for getting drunk or for partying out late at night. And so one day, this other student who was called Pete out, accused him of being self-righteous and boring. He said, Pete, look, I know I'm going to be okay at the end of the day. I'm a good moral person, really. I don't need to be boring like you, and I certainly don't need your Jesus. Now, Pete could have taken offence He could have told the guy to just mind his own business, or he could have shied away from the conflict altogether. But instead, he said to this student, listen, my friend, at the end of the day, is God going to let you into his heaven on the basis of your terms or his? And that really got that student thinking, and it led to other fruitful conversations. My friend Pete was so wise in the way he dealt with that opportunity to witness. And that's what our verses in Colossians are about today, our Christian witness. Uh, Paul's coming toward the end of his applications for this church, having already made clear to them that they have a new identity in Christ. As, As Paul said back in chapter 1 verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And since the start of uh, chapter 3, Paul's been explaining that, that this new identity as God's people, it's shown through transformed behavior. In how we behave as Christians sexually, or in the midst of conflict, or in the various roles that we have in this life, And now Paul comes to this last main application, how we behave as witnesses for Christ. But see how he starts in verse 4. Paul starts by writing, continue steadfastly in prayer. That might surprise us. In a passage concerned with Christian witness, Paul doesn't start with what we say to others, but rather what we say to God. See how he describes it. Continue steadfastly in prayer. This is a habit that is to mark the Christian life day in and day out. And and Paul set that example. Uh, Remember how he started this letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Or just a bit later in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul expects this church to be devoted to prayer as he, uh, as he was. And notice what else Paul says about it, being watchful in it. Uh, that's another way of saying, stay awake, 
Uh, be alert in your prayers. Uh, yes, know God's will for you by his word, but also be informed, continually informed about your surroundings, what's going on in the here and now. Who needs prayer and why? And finally, Paul says, pray with thanksgiving. And as we've seen throughout this letter, we will always have a reason to give thanks to God, no matter what our circumstances, as those saved from death in sin, for eternal life with him, by nothing but the blood of his precious son. But if you're anything like me, I think your heart sinks a little as you read this opening command. Often I find myself more distracted from prayer rather than devoted to it. And it can be especially hard in times like these. The the COVID-19 crisis has impacted our lives in so many ways, hasn't it? Our family life, kids at home rather than at school, our work life, our travel is more limited or, or possibly we're even struggling to find employment. Our church life, uh, we are separated physically from the supportive presence of one another. I mean, perhaps some of us are praying all the more fervently right now, and that's great. But I suspect for, for many of us, we are struggling in prayer. Now, Paul's intention isn't to guilt trip us here. He wants us to remember the great blessing that prayer is. Uh, that we, as Christians, are able to draw close to God in our time of need. Uh, Paul isn't a, prayer isn't a matter of tiresome rules and regulations for the Christian. No, we enjoy relationship with God in his Son. And as we pray to him, as we cast our, our burdens, our cares and our petitions before his feet, we will know his peace, even in the midst of the greatest of storms. While Paul covets the prayers of this church here, he wants them to pray for him. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Uh, Now we see why Paul began these verses on witness with the subject of prayer, this call to prayer, because he knew that without prayer, his witness would be useless. Paul knew that God had to be at work opening doors for it. Uh, Paul's in prison right now, and yet he's not chiefly concerned with his prison cell door swinging open. He's chiefly concerned that doors for the gospel swing open. And I think we can understand this on two levels here. Firstly, there's just simply the door of opportunity. Uh, Paul wants God, in answer to the Colossians' prayers, to, to give him opportunities just to simply interact with others. You know, whether it be the jail master or, or, or the servant who comes to bring him his daily rations, Paul knows his witness depends on there being people for him to witness to. But then there is the far deeper level, a hidden barrier to the gospel that must be broken down, the door of mankind's heart. Uh, you see, in sin, we as mankind are not neutral toward God. Uh, You might remember how Paul described the Colossians before they knew Christ back in 1 verse 21. He wrote, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, 
You see, so many in our world will say, well, if, if only God made himself clearer, clearer, I would gladly know and follow him. But God's word tells us a very different story. That apart from Christ, we are not only cut off from God in our sin, but we are hostile in our hearts and our minds toward him. We don't gladly seek him. And we don't, of ourselves, desire to live under the blessing of his good rule. Nothing short of a miracle will change that. Of, of God himself working by his spirit to break down the hardness of sinful hearts that we might receive his son and know forgiveness and life with God again in his name. And that's why Paul wants this church on its knees praying that God would use his witness because he knew God alone has the power to draw our world lost in sin back to himself. Paul knew he was merely a messenger. See verse 3 carrying on to declare the mystery of Christ on which on account of which I am in prison. Uh, Paul's already explained this mystery back in chapter 2, verse 27. God's plan to reconcile both Jew and Gentile to himself, a, a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and land, saved back to God by nothing but the precious blood of his Son. Paul knew that this gospel was God's power to save. It is this gospel that we, as God's people, must witness to our world. Verse 4. Paul continues, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Uh, Paul simply desires to know how he can best communicate this gospel of grace clearly to whomever will listen. I wonder what we're relying on to be an effective witness for Christ. I think we can often fool ourselves into thinking, well, you know, if only I adopt uh, the perfect strategy, if only I, I master every argument, if only I work hard to be relevant in the eyes of our culture, if only I use all the technology at my disposal to the full, then my witness is guaranteed to be effective. And Paul says, no, we must get on our knees and pray. Oh, yes, of course, we should use every tool at our disposal to get the gospel out more clearly and more widely. But we must remember that only God can open the door of man's heart, otherwise shut and bolted in sin. So we must be steadfast in prayer. And if we really do appreciate the wondrous work God has done in our hearts, bringing us to faith and to life in his Son, well, we will be devoted to praying that God would do the same in the lives of others, of our friends, our neighbours, and our world at large. Well, now Paul moves on from how we are to speak to God for the sake of witness to how we are to speak to others. Verse 5, conduct yourself wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. What Paul literally says here is walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Uh, walking is Paul's favourite metaphor for what it means uh, to live out the Christian life in this letter. Back in chapter 2, verse 6, he wrote, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. If Christ is ours, then that will show in our walk of life. 
And when it comes to our witness, then, our behaviour matters as much as our words to others. I remember as a student, my pastor at the time warning me, Tim, don't tell your class that you are a Christian. Don't tell them if you are not going to faithfully love God in your studies, if you're lazy, misbehave in class, or disrespect your teacher, don't tell them that you are a Christian. Our behaviour matters as much as our words. Now, it's, it's not to say that we're pre- to pretend to be perfect, because we know we're not. That would just be hypocrisy. But we are to be mindful that the way that we behave toward others will show them what we really believe in our heads and what we really love in our hearts. And that's why Paul is concerned that this church walk in a manner worthy of Christ, especially in the way that we relate to non-Christians. Verse 5, Paul describes them as outsiders. Now, if you're watching this online service and you're not a Christian, please don't be offended here. Uh, we're, we're so thankful as a church that you're here and that you keep on tuning in and we want you to keep on uh, doing that. You are most welcome in our online services. But, but Paul is making an important point, particularly for you, if you're not a Christian today, that there is a distinction that divides our world before God. Uh, there are those who know God, who have relationship with him by faith in his son, and there are those who are considered outsiders, outside of his kingdom. And our desire as a church is that those who are on the outside are, are brought in. And perhaps you've been tuning in for a while and you, you've experienced God's call on your heart. He's been speaking to you and convicting you by his word and you know Christ is the good Lord who gave his life for you. But, but something is keeping you from bowing the knee and to receiving him. Well, won't you come in from the outside? Won't you receive Christ, who alone can forgive our every sin and reconcile us back to our creator in every way that we might know life in the place of judgment? Uh, nothing is more important than that. But for those of us who rejoice that we are, by God's grace, on the inside, we're a part of God's eternal kingdom now, well, Paul tells us, don't waste the precious time you have right now. You know, our translations don't really do Paul's words justice here, where he says, make the best use of the time. He's being emphatic, suggesting your time is in short supply. You're like a bargain hunter on the last day of sales. You've just got to snap up what you can find really quickly. And friends, we know that we only have this one life to make an impact for eternity. That's got to shape the way that we relate to our neighbours. And Paul gets specific in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Again, Paul isn't concerned not just with what we say, but how we say what we say. Uh, That the words that we use as we speak of Christ to others, they commend his gospel of grace. They're gracious words. In other words, we don't cause unnecessary offence. I mean, the gospel itself 
can be very offensive because it tells us that we, we cannot save ourselves, that we have to depend on Christ entirely. That's an offensive message to proud hearts, but we are to be careful not to cause any further offence that could put off someone from listening to God's word. It's tragic to hear of the exploits of a church in the US that makes a point of making signs that say, God hates gays. And then they go and they protest at the funerals of those who they believe were living that lifestyle. And the media report it and they say, that's the problem when a church becomes too Christian. But a friend of mine wrote an article in response saying, the problem with that church wasn't that they were too Christian but that they were not Christian enough. There was not a hint of grace in their message, just self-righteous indignation and judgment. No, friends, we are to be gracious in our words to others as those saved by nothing but God's grace. We're not to compromise on the gospel itself, but we are to be respectful in the way that we share it. We are to be quick to apologise if we think we've crossed a line we shouldn't. If we've written words on social media in our anger that we would never dream of speaking out in public. We can't commend the gospel of grace if our witness itself is ungracious. Uh, Paul's hope, rather, is that our words would be tasty words. As he says in verse 6, seasoned with salt. Now, what my wife tells me, I put way too much salt on my food all the time, and I think she's right. But I just love the way that it tastes. That's Paul's hope for our witness. As we seek to be gracious, uh, to cause no offence save the the offence of the gospel itself, that we have tasty conversations with others that attract further questions and further investigation that by God's grace, some outsiders might come in. And as we grow in this skill to to share the gospel in a manner that is gracious and salty. See what Paul says will happen, end of verse 6, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, often we think of Christian witness in rather extreme ways. Maybe the street preacher who, who declares the word to complete strangers. Now, there is a place for that, and some of us might be particularly gifted for it, but Paul expects that for many of us, we will instead be called to answer others rather than just call them out as strangers. As we live distinct lives for Christ, before our family, our friends, our neighbours, as we live for God in a world that is doing anything but, well, we should expect people to question why we live the way we do. Like my friend Pete back at university, who got called out by one of his classmates, grilled for why he behaved the way he did. And yet Pete knew how to answer that fellow student. And his words were gracious, they were salty, and they ultimately pointed that other student back to Christ. How can we be doing the same? As we talk to God, as we talk to others, that his kingdom might advance through our witness. Well, for those of us who are members of St. Mary's, Uh, Before we sing our next hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished, I want to present you with just one opportunity to train and to serve in making Christ known to our neighbours.